Okay, we're working our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, this is a very familiar passage. I've probably spoken on this passage a couple of times since I've been here. There was a fresh word. Uh, you don't think about this, but I do. I spend a lot of time preparing message and... Uh, Looking in commentaries, thinking, praying, thinking and praying some more, and then I memorize it and pray some more. And uh, can you imagine me coming to the conclusion of all that and asking the question, so what? In fact, I always answer that question when I prepare a message. So what? In other words, there are a lot of things that we can learn, a lot of things that we can know, but what's the point? Why would we want to know or need to know that? Worse yet, can you imagine spending all of your life getting good at what you do, doing the best at what you do, and on your deathbed saying, so what? What difference did my life make, really? I think that's a really important question. When uh, leading a church, I've, <clears throat> I've uh, really tried to be intentional and focused over the years. And maybe you were aware of this, probably not, but I had uh, some critics, particularly pastors of other churches who would want me to do something with them or would want our churches to do something together. And they would say of me, <clears throat> oh, Stan, he, he's kind of independent. He won't, won't do anything with other churches. He wants to be on his own. And the reason for that is focus. That I have clear in my mind what God has wanted me to do, what he's asked me to do. And uh, that is the primary thing that I want my life to be about. So I'd like for you to look with me at John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read a pretty extensive passage of Scripture this morning. As I said, it's probably familiar to most of you. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's been in the south, now he's moving north in Israel. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob has given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can, 
Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and the flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This, that, that's the point of the message right there. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up into eternal life. So it's a, it's a source within itself. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and then come back. And I'm going to just stop right there and we'll conclude that story as we move through this passage of Scripture. This is probably characteristic of most husbands and wives. Sometimes I'll be looking for something and I'll ask Ginger, what did you do with dot, dot, dot? How many wives is that true? Your husband's looking and, yeah. Well, you shot that hand right up there quick, Jim, yeah. <coughs> and her answer is, it's right in front of you. So fill in that blank on your outline, it's right in front of you. So Jesus has been in the southern portion of Israel and Judea. He's now moving north. And to, to get to the north, you have to go through Samaria. Most Jews wouldn't go through Samaria, as you know. But Jesus intentionally went through Samaria because of this woman. The disciples went off to town to get some lunch. And this woman was sitting at the well. Jesus sat down beside her and asked her to give him a drink. And she said, you, a Jew, ask a Samaritan. So that's one reason. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And then he finished it by saying, you, a Jew, ask a Samaritan woman. So he's a man, she's a woman. Men didn't talk in public to women if they were alone with them. You, a Jew, ask a Samaritan woman to give me a drink. So I want you to think about, and this isn't a new concept to you probably, but uh, watch out who you hang out with. You've been taught that all of your life. You've been taught that as a Christian. Watch out who you hang out with. My parents often said to me, I don't like your friends. Or why are you hanging out with that person? Why don't you hang out with this person? And of course, they were concerned about influence. It's interesting that we would be worried that we would be influenced. We don't think much about being an influence. That's what that implies, is if you hang around them, they'll be a bad influence on your life. Switch that around, it might be that if you hang out with them, you'll be a good influence on their life. That's the way that Jesus thought about it. So Jesus was always hanging around with the wrong people. It's one of the things that he was criticized for. When Matthew was converted to Christ, he invited Jesus over to his home that was full of people like Matthew before he was converted, people who were sinners. 
Jesus went there. The sinners loved hanging out with him. And the Pharisees that were present said he is a, he's a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Now, there are, some, there are some wisdom issues with this, but that's a good thing to be accused of, that you would be a friend of sinners. Someone said, if Jesus was afraid of hanging around with the wrong kind of people, he would have stayed in heaven. true, isn't it? So you remember another instance where this woman was washing Jesus' feet. She was wiping his feet with her hair to drive them off. And in that case, a Pharisee was looking and was just thinking, if he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't be hanging out with her. And the opposite is true. He came to seek and save what was lost. And I want to suggest to you the, so, the answer to the so, so what question is, that's the reason we're here. To seek and to save what is lost. So notice the blank on your outline. Jesus seeks out the people we tend to exclude. I have that on a little sticky note under my computer. Who is it that I'm trying to avoid that Jesus is wanting to include? Who do I try and get away, with, away from that Jesus is trying to move toward. I think I've mentioned to you that Ginger <clears throat> had a Bible study for many years at Faith Chapel, and it was in the last couple or three years that she met this woman who, was, who had been a prostitute and still had many friends who were prostitutes. And she started coming to the Bible study, and they had the main group, and then they would break up into smaller groups, and Ginger tried to get this woman included with a smaller group, but she couldn't because the group leaders didn't know how to act and talk to this woman who had been far from God, still didn't think like we think, and she felt excluded from the group. So Ginger started a, a group of her own and had her invite all of her prostitute friends. Now you tell me how uncommon that is. Once they were having cookies, and this woman said, "said uh, these are really good. Where did you get these? Ginger said, well, they're homemade. I said, you mean you can make cookies? <laughs> she, she grew up in a place where you bought cookies. You didn't make cookies, you bought cookies. And I thought, I, I was really proud of Ginger for that, that she was pursuing someone that others didn't even know how to talk or think or behave around. And she included her and included her friends and hopefully was a good influence on them. Notice the next blank. Watch your language. When, uh, when this woman asked for a drink, or he asked Jesus, Jesus asked her for a drink, I should say. It's interesting where he started the conversation. They're sitting at a well. She's thirsty. She came there to get water. So he, he asked her a question that related to something that she could grasp onto and was really relevant to where she was right now. I think that's really important. Sometimes we think we have to have the four spiritual laws or memorize some kind of a speech. <coughs> And the truth is, we want to talk to people who are far from God in a way that they can relate to and identify with. 
there's a television commercial, and I, I don't mean to slander this man in any way, but it, 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 it irks me every time I hear it. He says, he's a financial counselor, and he says, you are blessed to be a blessing. That's Christian code talk. You're blessed to be a blessing. Are you? Well, yeah. But somehow it just doesn't fit in the context of where he's talking. It's, it's like a foreign language. I believe it was four years ago, perhaps three, Ginger's gay nephew uh, reached out to Ginger and I and asked if I would come to Florida and do a funeral for his husband. And we had, we'd gotten to know them a little bit over the years, so it wasn't didn't come just out of the dark completely. But when that invitation came, I had such mixed feelings about it. I, I didn't feel like, no, I don't want to do it. I felt like, oh, gosh, what am I going to talk about? And am I, am I going to do something to, to make to reinforce their fear of Christians. And obviously I didn't want to do that. So, so we got on a plane, went to Florida, and we were there for three days. On one night, the night before the funeral, we went, we went over to the home of Ginger's nephew and where his, he and his husband had lived together. And the house was full of gay people. Everybody that was there was gay. And uh, they didn't know that I could see them, but I could. I was looking, and I could see out on the patio that some of the men were kissing each other, and, and uh, for, for lots of reasons, that was uncomfortable for me. We went through the night. Then the next morning, I went to the funeral home, and there were probably, I suppose, fifty or sixty people in the room. I don't suppose all of them were gay, but most of them were gay. And I had worked really hard on this message, and you could probably guess what I talk, talked about. I talked about the love of God. And I talked about how much God loves them. Most of, the, most of them responded very well. There was one man who didn't. He, I could tell he didn't like evangelical pastors right from the first time I met him. But most of them really listened and, and received that, and I got a pretty positive response from that for which I was, I was thankful. <coughs> then we went over to, to, to their house that afternoon, and again, I was with gay people all afternoon talking. It's quite an education for me. And I tried to talk in ways that they could understand and identify with like I would with, with any group of people. So Jesus sits down with this woman and starts talking about water. Again, which made sense. They're there to get water. She's thirsty. He talks to her in terms that she can identify with and relate to her. And then he said, I would like to offer you the kind of water where you wouldn't have to keep coming back to this well. Well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I'd like to have some of this water that I don't have to come back. The idea is you go away from the well, but the need arises again, 
so you have to come back. The point is that you go away and you never need to come back. Because as it turns out, you have this source within you of living water that fulfills you on an ongoing basis. You don't have to go to something else to be fulfilled. You're fulfilled within yourself. It's a fulfillment that lasts. So Jesus starts talking to her about the fact that you are looking in all the wrong places. And I think that's probably true of most of us. He says to her, before we finish this conversation, could I ask you to go home and get your husband? And most of you know that she had been married five times and she was living with a man that she wasn't married to. The point is that in order to experience lasting fulfillment, you have to deal with the issue of sin in your life. So he asked her to go get her husband. And of course she said, uh, well, I don't, actually, I don't have a husband. I've been married five times, and I'm not married to the man that I'm living with. Well, of course, Jesus knew the answer to that. But look at this Old Testament scripture that kind of reinforces the point. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, that is the Lord, the spring of living water. So Jesus is that living water he's talking about, and have dug their own cisterns. In other words, they went to find water in places that wouldn't bring lasting fulfillment. Have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, and cannot hold, that cannot hold water. So what he's talking about is that there's a fulfillment that won't last. All of you have experienced that. We try and find fulfillment in all kinds of places. Some people try and find fulfillment in alcohol or drugs. Some people uh, with money. If I can make enough money, I'll be fulfilled. If I can get to a certain position in life where I'm respected, make enough money, then I'll certainly be fulfilled in life. Toys, jumping from one recreation to another. Cars are my favorite example because I like cars. And I, I, you know, when I first buy a car, I drive it around thinking I'm the most amazing person in the world. And then pretty soon, you don't, it's just a car. It doesn't bring lasting fulfillment. And there is nothing that brings lasting fulfillment except this living water that Jesus is talking about. So looking for fulfillment that doesn't last, discontentment, returning and returning and returning is something that you understand. Listen to this appeal from the book of Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? In other words, why do you keep going to all these things that don't bring lasting fulfillment? Why don't you come to something that does? So he says, would you please go, go, go get your husband? You've had, what he's really saying here is you've had five strikeouts. And you're about to have a sixth strikeout. You've been looking for fulfillment in some place. It's the wrong place and you're not going to find it. So she changes the subject. 
and starts talking about religion. In our day, it would be like saying, well, I, I was a Methodist for a while. I tried that, and I didn't like it. I was a Lutheran for a while. I tried that, and I didn't like it. I was a Baptist for a while, and I didn't like that. But she said, you know, I know that when the Messiah comes, he will explain all this to me. And of course, Jesus said, I am the Messiah. The one that you're talking to is the Messiah. Notice the next blank, be narrow-minded. How many times have you heard someone say, all religions are the same? They all lead to the same place. There's nothing farther from the truth. If you study other religions, you'll note that there are a few similarities, but there are a lot of dissimilar things as well. For example, you've all seen pictures of uh, an Aztec culture where the most beautiful virgin was selected every year and she would be thrown into a volcano to appease the gods. Now think about that. We give our life for God to appease Him. Christianity is quite different than that. God gives His life to save us. Not asking us to give our life, that is, life and death, but He gives His life to move toward us and save us. Many people say, well, why do, you, why do you believe in Christianity? You believe it because you believe everything that the Bible says? Ultimately, I would say yes, but initially I would not say yes because you know, people nowadays are very good at finding Bible stories and pointing out what they believe to be an error in the story or something that's wrong with it. Everybody can't go and get a theological education to disprove all of that but the reason that i believe in jesus is because of the resurrection you've heard me say this several times in the last year the resurrection of jesus christ is indisputable these guys named matthew mark luke john the apostle paul they all wrote what we call books in the bible because they were eyewitnesses to those events Paul had a revelation from God where he also became an eyewitness of who Jesus was. But the most compelling thing is that after the resurrection, Paul said to people, he said, listen, I've, I've talked to over 500 people who saw Jesus Christ alive after he, after he went to the cross and died. Go talk to them. They're still alive. Go talk to them. Go ask them. Would you have to talk to 500 people to convince you of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Probably not. I talked to a few of them. It's indisputable. So the question becomes, what are you going to give your life to? The woman went back to town after having talked to Jesus, and she said, hey guys, and everybody in town knows who she is. They, it was a culture where getting married again was, was forbidden. They knew she'd been married five times and was shacked up with a guy. She says, hey, there's this guy that told me everything I did. And she was happy about it. <laughs> and the whole town came out to meet Jesus and listen to him. When she went back to town, the disciples returned and asked Jesus if he wanted something to eat. And this is what he said. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
Then his disciples, in other words, I have something that brings me satisfaction and fulfillment that you don't know anything about yet. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Somebody give him a sandwich? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, this is, this is the point of the message. Jesus said what brings me lasting fulfillment is to do the will of God and to finish his work to influence people. That's what brings me lasting joy and fulfillment. So Jesus loved people that others reject. I wonder if it wouldn't be important that we love people that others reject. Who am I trying to get away from that Jesus is moving toward? Might be the same person. Jesus said, do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Many, many commentators believe that when Jesus was talking to the disciples after they got back, when they brought lunch to him, and the woman had gone to town, now all the people are moving toward him. They want to meet this Jesus that she's talked about. And they look out and they see this mass of people that's coming toward him. Many believe that that's the harvest that he's talking about. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, I wish I would have. Am I pursuing money? Am I pursuing security? Am I giving my life to a company? If I build a company or if I build a reputation, will that bring me lasting fulfillment? If I get the best education available, will that bring me lasting fulfillment? If I rise to the top of my company, will that bring me lasting fulfillment? I'm not putting any of those things down, but what I'm saying is to every one of your lives, there's a subplot. You're giving your life to something to make a living. You want to do the best that you can at that, but there's this subplot that while I'm doing that, I'm influencing people for Jesus Christ. That's what brings lasting fulfillment. That I don't come to the end of my life and say, I made a lot of money, I built a company, I got a great education, so what? The so what is that we have influenced people for Jesus along the way. We've been a blessing to them. There's a subplot. For our staff retreat this, or staff uh, Christmas party this year, we went to the place where you throw, throw, axe, throw an axe, actually a hatchet. Oh, you heard about that, it's on 6th Avenue, I think. You should have seen Arnie. Oh, gosh, it was pitiful. <laughs> he, fi he finally got one stuck, I think. I was, I was equally as pitiful, I must, I must add. But this guy that was teaching us how to throw an axe, he was so jacked about his job. I, I, honestly, I sat there thinking, he is so jazzed about this job. Is this job really going to bring him what he wants? He's really excited about it. You could say that about any job. Be a teacher and be a good one. But there's this subplot that while you're doing that, you're influencing people for Jesus. You be a banker and be the best you can be. But while you're doing it, be an influence for Jesus. Be a construction worker and be the best that you can be. But while you're doing that, make sure that you're being an influence for Jesus. 
We're all familiar with Steve Jobs. He said to a guy, he hired a guy from Pepsi, PepsiCo company. And when he, when he was recruiting him, said, are you going to spend your life selling colored water or do you want to change the world? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Well, I don't know that changing the world like Steve Jobs did is what I'm talking about, but it's more than that. So be an influence forever. Whatever you do for a living, make sure that that subplot is active in your life, that you're loving people for Jesus' sake. Maybe you hang around once in a while with people that others are trying to avoid. Of course there are some questions to that. But don't be intimidated that, well, they're going to influence me. No, you be an influence in their life. That's what Jesus would call us to. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute.